Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Now I see why so many of you used to get so excited come holidays when uh, your kids would come home. It's been good to have Noah back with us. Yeah, thanks. Good. Um, how many of you hope that, uh, how many of you are glad 2016's over? Hmm? Okay, yeah. It's been a pretty tough year for a lot of us, hasn't it? How many of you have heard yourself saying in the last oh, few weeks, boy, <clears throat> I sure hope 2017's different. Okay. It, uh, those things fall out of our, our, our hearts and our lips without, uh, without any real uh, sense of uh, disrespect for God, without any real lack of gratitude for the good things he's done. It's just that well, there are some years where you find yourself reflecting and saying, that was the hardest year of my life. That's, that's where I was at uh, the end of the year uh, 2015. You guys walked with my family through one of the most sorrowful, difficult times in our lives. And I said it, December of 2015, boy, 2016, it better be better. It couldn't be worse than 2015. And and so, um, 2016 for me seemed, um, it was great. It was a dramatic, uh, remarkable improvement over 2015. And some of you wish you could, you could have had a couple of 2015s and traded in a 2016, right? And as we, we come into this new year, 2017, I'm feeling like I'm done grieving and um, that's, that's in the rear view for me. And uh, I get excited about what this year might hold. I'm, I'm walking, as you are, with, uh, with the Swansons through the wonderful odyssey that this year is going to hold for them, with Lucy, who will be joining us here in about, about four months. And so uh, there have been a lot of smiles on my face as I've started thinking about the year to come until I got uh, an email um, two days ago from our district superintendent who said, that his sister just found out that she's dying and in probably the next six weeks she'll be gone. And he's been wrestling already with the notion of what it's going to mean to walk with her and the rest of the family through that in these, in these first few weeks. And very predictably, the sorrow that follows. For me, it seems like 2017 is going to be a good year. For my friend, Randy, probably be one of the harder years of his life. I came to realize that um, 2017 will be no different than 2016. A year is just uh, the way that we measure time as we pass through it. And, and while we assign character to years on the calendar because of these incredible, life-changing, weighty kind of events that happen during any calendar year, we, we assign good, bad, some kind of value to them. And, and surely all of us, as we... As we pass out of one year and into another one, we just wish we could pass out, right? Just tired, poof, done, and uh, wake me up, you know, February, that'd be great. How many people think about now hibernation's a great idea, right? I mean, the bear's got something figured out, right? We find ourselves typically at year's end, year's beginning, thinking, boy, I hope next year's different some way. If it was a good year, we hope it's even better, 
It was a really lousy year. We hope this one, you know, we get a little bit of peace. We get a little bit of, a little bit of rest. And here's what I've come to understand is that since time is just time and, and one year isn't different than the other, if anything, if I'm really going to experience 2017 in some better way than I experienced 2016, it will only happen if I'm better. 2017, I mean, I hate to break it to you, but somebody in our church family is going to die. Because that happens every year. And some close friend of yours is going to get the news that my friend got. And your painful odyssey will begin. I don't want it to be the case, but somebody in this church family this year is going to lose a job that will dramatically affect their family's well-being almost immediately. Because that's what happens in a year. So, uh, thanks, Cliff. That's what we were looking for, gloom and doom, uh, to kick it off. Yeah. Next thing, you know, you know, the Seahawks are going to lose, and everybody's going to be sad. And, you know, yeah, no. No, I'm really, uh, I am really optimistic about this coming year because of this one thing. I know that a year can't change, but I know that I can. And therefore, my experience of this coming year can be fundamentally different than my experience of the past year. I'd like to think that I have the hard things, you know, the big hard things in the rear view for me, but the truth is there's some more coming. I just don't know if they're in 2017, 2018, or 2028. But I do know that the way that I experience life, it's hardships, it's, uh, it's awesomeness in my life and in the particulars of yours, it can be fundamentally altered if I allow this one thing, if I allow God the Holy Spirit to fundamentally alter me. You see, for my experience of the coming year, I'm really the key. And for your experience of the coming year, you are really the key. And this is the point at which if I was just uh, a power of positive thinking person or a life coach, I would talk to you about making New Year's resolutions. And I would tell you to, uh, you know, pick no more than two or three and, and to make them a real challenge but yet attainable. And a bunch of you would start to go to sleep as I talked about this because you made up your minds 5, 10, 25, 35 years ago that you're not going to do New Year's resolutions anymore because when you were little or when you were young, you had real hope that you would be a changed person when the calendar flipped over, you would have a new chance and you would make full, take full advantage of it and you would become a new man, a new woman in the coming year. But because you relied on willpower and maybe self-discipline, you were good for January 1st, January 2nd, still on board, January 3rd, you had to go back to work, and you forgot about New Year's resolutions, and you wanted to squeeze that guy's neck that you worked with. And your New Year's resolution was to squeeze no necks. And since on day three, you fell short, and you fell short the next year with your weight loss plan, and you fell short the next year with your financial plan, you just said, I don't do New Year's resolutions. Nobody keeps them anyway. And I think what's happened in the lives of every person who's made that decision is they have decided that they will live with a certain uncomfortable disappointment. 
You'd be disappointed if you made New Year's resolutions and didn't keep them, but you decided it was less uncomfortable, less disappointing to not make any resolutions at all and just see what the new year holds. I realized something about myself a few years ago, and it's this. I never improved by not trying. I never got better at anything by not trying. I, uh, I wish it was the case. I'd really be a good guitar player by now. <laughs> because there are 300 and easily 300 days of last year, I didn't practice. And so if it was just, you know, magical that I could not work at it and it'd get better, Lisa would have far better tools with which to uh, lead us in worship. But I'm not just going to bring you a sermon of you should make New Year's resolutions. Jesus wants you to make New Year's resolutions and send you out there with this load of expectation that that now you're supposed to just work at it hard again and buck up, young sailor, because I don't believe in you any more than you do. (laughs) Meaning this, I don't believe in me any more than you believe in you. Because I, too, have made some promises and not kept them. I've made some commitments and not followed through. So why is it that I have some smile on my face and some expectation and some hope that 2017 will be a different kind of year for me because I will be a different kind of man? Why is it that I expect that? It's because I have read the Christian scriptures. And they offer to every single one of us real hope not just for forgiveness of our past sins and and of heaven some point in the future, but of the real presence of God in our lives in the here and now, in practical ways, changing us from the inside out. Let Let me read to you from the scriptures this morning and see if maybe on this first day of 2017, hope might be reawakened in your heart, that you you can be changed in this year to come. Fundamentally altered in such a way that you experience life differently than you did in 2016. I want to read to you this morning from the book of Galatians, chapter 3. I'd invite you to stand with me, please. It's a way that we show honor, respect to God. Galatians, chapter 3. I'll begin reading with verse 23. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, or at least I thought I was till my computer decided otherwise. Sorry. There we go. Gracious God, as we bow before you this morning, we want to have hope. When we were young, we were very hopeful. Life has a way of conspiring to beat that out of us. But we have read in the scriptures that though the outward person is wasting away, the inward person can be renewed day by day. And as we turn our attention to the scriptures right now, we invite your Holy Spirit to begin working even before we understand what it is that you want to do in our lives. We just give complete permission to your Holy Spirit to come and do his work. Now give us, Lord, special ability to understand spiritual truths as we read words that admittedly were written by men, but under the guidance of your Holy Spirit, so that we might know 
the truth and thereby come to know you and thereby become like you. Speak to us, we pray. Paul writes, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, I loaded it kind of heavy on the front end uh, in terms of expectation that somehow by turning our attention to the scriptures and, and you opening your lives up to the power of God that, that you could be changed, really changed, dramatically altered so that you experience life inclusive of its hardships, inclusive of its pains and sorrows and difficulty. You could, you could experience that in, in incredibly different ways. Time to deliver, Cliff. I'm feeling my own pressure right about now. But I mentioned that 2016 won't be different if you're not different. So the real issue is you and I have got to change. And is it really as simple as just praying some prayer and saying, God, um, do things? And I'll sit here and passively let you figure out what it is that needs to be altered in my mind and in my heart. And, and then you just sprinkle some magic pixie dust over it, God. And all of a sudden I hear this music of angels and I find myself walking around like God himself on earth. Nobody believes in that anymore. Maybe we never should have. The key, as I understand, as I've been studying this passage of Scripture, and, this, and, and quite frankly, hoping for me to change in the coming year, I find it in this passage in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, there is a very real key to you and I experiencing that transformation that Paul promises here and again and again and again throughout the New Testament. And it is found in these three words, put on Christ. Put on Christ. It's interesting. He's talking to people who already believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's talking to, to people who have already come to the place that they believe that Jesus is more than a historical figure, more than a spiritual teacher, that he was a, a Messiah of sorts. That is, one who was specially sent and specially equipped by God to fix broken things in this world and broken people within this broken world so that the light of God might shine not just from heaven, but from human beings who are in league with him. And so this world begins to experience transformation. Paul said there was a way that that could happen, and it would happen if and only if you and I put on Christ. 
Send it to people who already said, well, I've invited him to live in here. Did you want him in or on? And Paul's answer to that would be, yes, we want him in, in that sense of you've invited him into your life. But then he talks in terms of like clothing. I just want to thank you all for getting dressed before you came to church this morning. For lots of reasons, among them that it, uh, it uh, gives me great hope that you already have the skill set for doing what it is that Paul calls us to do. See, when you get dressed in the morning, you have this awareness that people don't need to see that, right? Whatever that is. And so <laughs> Todd's shaking his head really hard over there. Yeah. Um, and so you just you start pulling things out of the dresser in your room and say, nope, not enough. You got to get another one. Put that one on. Nope, still not enough. Let's get something long and cut very full and, and put that on. And before long, you walk out of that room and all we can see is your, your, your hands and from about here up, if you did it right, <laughs> right? We see just this much of you. You have this sense that, that there is supposed to be something that wraps around you. Okay, guys, here's the deal. I really want to help the world. Okay? Hello, world. But my clip is just dying a slow, miserable death. So Facebook people, we're just going to tell you goodbye. Okay? Sorry about that, but yeah. Okay. Um, because they don't need to look at my shins through the rest of the deal. All right? Sorry about that. You had this sense that there was supposed to be something that went all the way around you. And I noticed that none of you grabbed garbage bags to do that with. You see a black bag full of anything. You know what you assume is on the inside? Garbage. You guys, every day when you get dressed, you take something and you wrap it around you in the hopes that, one, it covers up a bunch of stuff, and two, that it affects the way that other people perceive you. Some of you say, I don't get dressed, for, I don't wear what I wear for anybody else, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Mm, okay, keep telling yourself that till you believe it. I wear what I want because I like it. Oh, well, that's the other reason that you do dress the way that you do, is because you want to perceive you in a slightly different way than you would if you grabbed a garbage bag, poked head hole and armholes, right? You with me? See, when, when Paul was talking to the people who already had faith in Christ, who'd already experienced this new birth that, that Jesus talked about in John, he said, um, I don't think you guys feel complete yet. I think at some level you feel exposed to the elements and to the world around you, and thereby uh, a little bit you're experiencing some shame and some discomfort. You don't like the way that people look at you, and you don't like the way you look to you. You need something to wrap around you. And what he says to the crowd then and to us is then put on Christ. We just went to Spokane a couple of days after Christmas and went shopping with the kids. And uh, my kids don't have anything against um, the West because they've, they were born and raised out here. But my kids are not cowboys. They're just not. So um, they didn't want to go look at cowboy hats. They didn't want to go buy boots. They didn't want uh, belt buckles that you could flip over and use as a dinner plate. And they didn't want the kind of jeans that cowboys wear. Nothing against people who do. My kids just didn't want that. Because they wanted 
they perceive themselves a certain way and they want to be perceived by others in a certain way and so they selected certain things. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you prayed a prayer that said something like, Jesus, make me like you. I want, I want to be more like you, Lord. After the words I had with my spouse, I wish I, wish I was already more like you. Because of the way I treated the kids today, I sure wish I'd already become more like you. God, have you prayed the more like you prayers a few times? Do you you have that hope that at some point in the journey, um, people will begin to talk about you as that person who's different than everybody else because they see something in you that gives them hope. They see in you a peace that just never seems to get rattled. We know that it's Christ-likeness. They don't know to use that word, but have you found yourself hoping that at some point along the journey, you'd be like that that old woman that you know or that old man that you know who is just always like Jesus? If you want to be associated with cowboys, if you want people to think you're a cowboy, go buy a Stetson and go buy some boots and go buy some Wranglers and go buy a big belt buckle and you'll fool some people for a while until they pull in a a horse and say, climb on, and then pretty soon the fakers will be shown for what they are. But you'll be associated with cowboy enough for people to think you're a cowboy. And if you stick around cowboys long enough, you know what will happen? You'll learn to ride, and you'll learn to do cowboy things. It works, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The same is true if you make the decision that I'm going to clothe myself with Christlikeness. It means that sometimes you're going to have to act like him. You'll say, but isn't that, isn't that fake? No. <laughs> it's, try, it's trying to be different, right? It's putting a little bit of effort into this. Put on Christ, Paul said, and, and it will change the way that people look like you because you'll, you'll look differently. It'll change the way that you think about you. Okay, Cliff, great. Put on Christ. That's the key to a new year. How do I do it? I mean, practically, do I just pray a prayer? Uh, Jesus, let's get dressed now? No, that doesn't work. I mean, I've prayed enough of the generic prayers in my life to find that God says, I'll wait until you say something that matters to me. And so what I want to encourage you to do today is not just try harder, but also not to just pray the prayer hoping that God just snaps his fingers and magically makes you well and whole. Instead, I want to turn our attention to the scriptures one more, uh, a couple more times this morning, read more scripture than we typically do, in the hopes that as we look at the scriptures, we will come to understand the how-to, the, 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 there's going to be a DIY part of this, do it yourself, but in, in, in you applying yourself, to this kind of change, you will find that it's a God-approved method and therefore God's going to get on board and he's going to work with you to produce transformation in your life. Put on Christ. What does it look like? How does it happen? The key to it taking place in your life is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Reads this way. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Now listen, by changing the way you think. Let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I have found that most people's least favorite thing to do is to change their minds. We already have the assumption, I believe what I believe because I've looked at it, I've investigated, I've listened to opposing points of view, and I've arrived at this conclusion because I am convinced it's the right one. And most of us get into this habit relatively early in life. Have you ever had a conversation with a four-year-old at the table about vegetables and seen how committed a four-year-old with no perspective on life can be to not eating vegetables? It doesn't matter that you can, that when, when you say to them, don't you want big muscles like daddy? Don't you want to be healthy and strong? Don't you want to live a long life? You can, you can present all of the arguments to a kid for eating vegetables, but they're not changing their minds. They're committed to their way of looking at things. Folks, listen. Remaining absolutely committed to our opinions on a number of matters is what is choking the life out of the body of Christ in America right now. We have these these fully informed opinions. We will not revisit them. We we read scripture and we say, well, that doesn't apply anymore. It's cultural. And having arrived at these opinions and refusing to change our minds about anything leaves us in the place that we're in today stuck like we were maybe in 2012 or 1952. The good, news, the, the good news of the scriptures is that there's lots of stuff in here that you should change your mind about. And it's been written down and given to us. See, I think if you and I would change our minds about just two or three things in the coming year, we could be maybe not dramatically improved, maybe not fully transformed in just one year's time. But if we take a look at this list, we're going to read from, read on, from uh, chapter 12 in a little bit. If we took a look at this list and we said, okay, God, just would you speak to me about two things where I need to change my mind? I need to let you change my mind. I need to take your opinion on this instead of mine. I need to listen to you instead of insisting. I need to be teachable instead of stubborn. What if we did that with, with two things this year and to the next, and to the next, and to the next. You don't have that many areas of your life. You don't have 30 areas of your life in which you have to be changed before people say, that is a dramatically altered human being. I knew her when she was, but look at her now. So let me ask you this morning. Would you be willing, as we read further through the scriptures, to first just whisper a prayer to God that you're listening And that you'd be willing to change your mind about anything on the page if he'll just point it out to you. Lord, I want that for me. Sure, I want it for my church family. 
Lord, I desperately want to see more of your transforming work in my life this year. And so I invite you now to come. And speak, speak to this guy who thinks he knows a lot. Speak to this guy who thinks he knows a lot about the Bible. And invade and illuminate the blind spots in my life, I pray. I'm going to listen for your voice. Amen. So Paul starts this whole, this whole chapter by saying, um, spirituality isn't just thoughts and ideas you're committed to. He says, give your bodies to God. Right? You're going you're gonna to act differently in this world. He says that uh, we're not to copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but there's a transformation that we're supposed to lean into, but it's going to happen only if we change our minds. Change our minds about what? Skip with me in chapter 12 down to verse 9. Here's just a list, okay? I've got it kind of sort of on the screen in edited version. Listen to this and see if, as we're reading down through there, and you're going, check, check, check. If God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't at some point say, did you hear that one? And if so, don't argue with him, don't make excuses, and don't attempt to justify where you're at. Just say these two words to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It's an acknowledgement that he's right and you are going to change your mind about how you live in this area. Here we go. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. How many of you have called your anger righteous? When you get good and ripped, you feel, man, I'm righteous. I usually find myself apologizing immediately thereafter to God and other people. He says, why don't you not take revenge, but leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, and here he quotes the Old Testament, quoting God, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, and here he quotes the Old Testament again, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. 
Not sure why he included that part. And he ends it all by saying, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Anywhere along the way, did your heart ping? Just a, did you get just a, a little bit of nudge that made you back up and, and, and read that phrase one more time? If so, I think God the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. Here's this list of things about which we, we may need to change our minds. Paul started the chapter by saying, you can be transformed if you change your mind. And then he gave us a whole list of things that we should maybe think about and then ask God's Holy Spirit to change our minds about how we've been acting in these various areas. Okay, Cliff. So go to church on January 1st. Listen to a sermon that started out very depressingly. Then you use some grand sweeping flowery language like just put on Christ and it'll filter your experience of the world and, and then change your, your mind about a couple of things. Now, how about we reduce it to a four-step plan? Real actions that you can take before you, beginning before you leave here today. You can follow through on some of this outside of here, but, but here we go. How about we reduce this to a four-step plan? The, fourth, the first step in the plan is this, pray the list. Okay, we listened a couple of times, or listened once as we read our way through it. I want to I read it again, but how about this time, you're praying the list. Close your eyes, don't look at the screen. Listen and pray the list. Step number two is, while you're praying the list, listen to the voice because God, the Holy Spirit, isn't a jerk. Remember spiritual principle number one? I've taught you since the first day I was your pastor. God's not a jerk, okay? God's not a jerk. And it means if he's going to lay all this stuff on us about possibility and hope and, and change and transformation, that when we apply ourselves to it, he has a holy obligation to enter into the conversation with us and then to invest himself in the experience so that we're not left with more of my insufficient willpower, all of that and my personal experience leads me to believe that if you will close your eyes and earnestly seek God and listen for the voice, that something's going to happen in the next few moments where you and God together are able to identify one or two areas in your life that become the, the project for the new you in the new year. We've already got a new year. The new gear that we need for it, put on Christ. How? Here's the plan. We're going to pray the list. We're going to listen for the voice. Let's do that much. Lord, one more time, we bow our heads and hearts before you, and we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and 
serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. And always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never, never, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Did you pray the list? Did you listen for the voice of God and and find one or two things on the list that at least gained some clarity as in, uh, I should probably work on this? That's the voice of God in your life. It's not just your bright idea and keen self-awareness that leads to spiritual growth. Those ideas come from God himself, who is not a jerk, who said, let me do this with you. So step number one was pray the list. Step number two was listen to the voice. Step number three, however, is just practice. It's make a plan. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, I never got better at anything by not trying. What's your plan for thinking differently and acting differently in the areas in which God's Holy Spirit whispered to you just a moment ago. Uh, In in practical terms, I'll tell you this. Don't make it a 47-step plan. The truth is, I'm giving you a four-step plan. I'm having a hard time remembering all four steps, okay? I had to search for a minute for number three, which was what? Make a plan, (laughs) right? So don't make the plan too complex. But you got to have a plan for implementing the kind of change that you want to see in your life, or it's never going to happen, See, plans change what wishes never could. Plans change what wishes never could. Remember, um, there's been a a bunch of television shows over the course of your lifetime and mine. They they usually toy with the idea of some uh, innocent-ish witchcraft. But in, in each of these shows, there's somebody who has the ability to just wish that things were better and then they, they blink their eyes or they, or they nod their head or they, or they wave a wand and all better. You know why those shows are so popular? It's because we all wish it was true, but, but know that it isn't. Making wishes and throwing a coin in the fountain may help whoever gets the coins out of the fountain but it's not going to produce change in your life. Plans change. Well, wishes never could. And so take a, a, a really um, 
um, basic look at what it is that you think you need to change your mind about and you need to change your actions about. You're going to change your mind and you're going to experience God's transformation. Make it just a two, three-step plan. And then finally, step four is this. Speak it to a friend. Share it to a friend. Because an unspoken commitment isn't one. An unspoken commitment is no commitment at all. Why would I commit myself to change, but then refuse to share it with anybody? It's so that I save face for my planned failure. It's, it's the excuse that I don't even have to offer to other people, right? You know why people, some, some part of my job is to, is to move to the back of this platform right here, maybe ascend the steps a little bit, and people dressed really nice come into music and make their way down the aisle, and they come up here before me, and I say, who, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And, and then they, they make all kinds of promises to each other. Why do people do that? Where did that come from? The pageantry and the vows and all of that. It's because people have understood from the beginning of time that if I don't speak a commitment, I don't really have one. Cliff Purcell's commentary on American culture. You ready for it? Cohabiting is not marriage. It's not Marriage. It's not the same thing. And a wedding certificate and a wedding license is not, quote, just a piece of paper. It's you standing up and making a commitment to a person and the other persons that come along because of your love for a lifetime. And when you fail to make commitments, remember, commitments are spoken. When you fail to speak those commitments, you have already allowed yourself the opportunity to back out. So if you want to experience the transformation of God in your life this year, don't make a wish, make, make a plan. And when you have a plan, speak it to one other trusted person who you know will call you on your junk. The person who loves you enough to not pat you on the back while you back out of your commitments. But the person who says, you know, you told me that you were going to start working out this year, and it's March. And that is one really ineffective workout plan you've got going on there, sweetheart. (laughs) Speaking the commitment does something in you, but here's what else it does. It invites another person in to start helping to bear the load and not just hold you accountable, but to give you encouragement along the way. See, probably most of us have, have friends who would offer the encouragement, but be really slow to offer the accountability. So choose wisely who it is that you speak the commitment to, but speak the commitment or you have already agreed not to keep it. I want to be a different man in, uh, at the end of 2017 than, than I am right now on day one. So uh, I've, been a, I've been a sloth this last year in terms of um, my physical health, and that needs to change. And so um, 
I downloaded an app for my phone this week that's going to help manage. It has a plan, see, for, for me becoming physically fit and healthier than I am right now. And, um, and I'm speaking that to all of you here today so that you can ask me from time to time, hey, how's the workout going? Here's my commitment to you. Uh, my commitment is that I will work out at least four days a week this year, okay? Cliff Purcell going on the record, making a commitment um, to, to work on my physical health this year. I also found that this last year I read a lot of scripture, but for some reason I got to the year's end and I looked back over my shoulder and I realized my conversations with God were all short, quite abbreviated this year. Long way of saying, um, I didn't spend enough time in real conversation with God this year. And, um, and so uh, my commitment to you is uh, getting started this direction. I don't know where it's going to go by the end of the year, but um, for the month of January, let's start there, okay? A plan that I know I can execute is that however much time I spend reading the scriptures, I will spend an equal amount speaking with the Lord and listening to him, Okay? Two commitments for me. I, I, there's lots of other things I need to work on. If you want the full list, ask Laura Purcell. Okay? She's, she knows me well. Thankfully, she doesn't give me the list very often. But I know that with the help of God, I can work on those two things, and I have a plan for them. I've spoken it to you. And the reason that I made a plan in those areas is that I listened to God. As I, as I prayed the list, the physical thing, I don't know where I found that in the list, but it was in my conversation with the Lord. But with the help of God, I'm going to experience life differently in 2017 because I am embarking upon the changing the way that I think about a couple of areas of my life so that God and the Holy Spirit can transform me. See how that works? Here's what I want us to do. Noah's going to come. He's going he's to play that song again and sing it. Christ be all around me. It's, remember, this whole thing, this is the practice of how we put on Christ, how we, how we wrap him around us to such an extent that he, that he covers our nakedness and he covers the things in our lives that cause us shame. And, and it, it's, it's a full hood with a drawstring that closes over so that, so that Christ becomes the filter through which I see the world. And, and since I'm completely cloaked in him, the, the world is, if it's going to look at me, it's going to have to look through Christ to see me. This is all about putting on Christ. And it's why I asked him to sing this song, to teach it to us this morning earlier, and then, and then sing it for us now. And maybe you want to sing along with him. Christ, I want you all around me out in front so that when people see me, they, they got to go through you first. I want you as my rear guard. As I'm walking away from people, I want them to, to look and say, there goes a woman of God. There goes a man of God. I need you to go before me and, and smooth out some of the path in front of me, and then I need you to smooth the rough edges off of me. 
And I need you right beside me so that I can lean on you as I walk through this. Christ, will you clothe me in your righteousness? You do your part. For my part, I'm going to give you my, my, my body and my thought life. Change the way that I think about those two things you mentioned to me. And I'll listen. I'll, I'll make a plan. I'll commit myself. Thereby, Lord, will you transform me? I want to ask the communion teams to come and serve. And the communion this morning, it's always about the body and the blood of Christ. These are powerful emblems for us. Communion doesn't get to stand for anything else. But as you uh, are served, would you, would you take the, the bread and the juice and hold them until everybody's served so we can, we can eat and drink together? But as you do it, while, while they're serving you would, you, would you continue to pray the list? Would you continue to listen to the voice? Maybe you and God need to work for the next few minutes on a simple little one, two-step plan that you're going to share with somebody that you can trust this afternoon. Because as you sit here on the morning of the first day of a new year, you, you just want to be a different person than you were last year. You want to have a, a whole new way of seeing the world and the world seeing you.